electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, the daily podcast brought to you by the team behind Squawk Box. NYC, this is CNBC Control 2. CNBC's essential morning show. PCR 2. Every day, get the best stories, debate, and analysis from the biggest names in business and politics. All right, we're coming to it next. Today on Squawk Pod, a Boeing whistleblower on the 737 MAX. He described the conditions at Boeing's plant. Google's efforts for eternity. I want him to cure death and the CEOs of SurveyMonkey and Warby Parker. Plus, alphabetical order is hurting you, maybe. Why 401k fund selections should go from A all the way to Z. Can we be honest? Does that mean everybody's that dumb? We've got those stories and more. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. It's Tuesday, December 10th, 2019. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand under by in three, two, one, two, Andrew. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan. Becky is off today. First up today on the pod, another Boeing employee speaks out on safety concerns about the company that he raised before the two deadly 737 MAX tragedies. Now, a manager, former manager, I should say, at Boeing speaking out for the first time. Uh, Ed Pearson says he flagged problems with the 737 MAX at Boeing's main factory in Renton, Washington, uh, in the months before two deadly crashes forced the grounding of the aircraft. That's the important part, in the months before those things happened. He says that he worried a push to increase production of the 737 MAX would lead to critical mistakes. Now, Pearson testified before Congress to, Pearson testifies before Congress tomorrow, but in an exclusive interview with NBC News, he described the conditions at Boeing's plant. What words would you use to describe that factory at that point? Dangerous. Um unnecessary, taking unnecessary risk, chaotic, uh, uh, disarray. Now he says that he uh, sent an email to the general manager of the 737 MAX program in June of last year, four months before the crash of the Lion Air jet off the coast of Indonesia. He says he expressed concern uh, about exhausted workers who he said were, quote, inadvertently embedding safety hazards into our airplanes and said he would be hesitant for the first time in his own life to put his own family on a Boeing plane. He urged Boeing to temporarily shut that plant down. In a statement, Boeing says there is no direct link to Pearson's concerns and the two crashes. It said that Boeing took uh, his concerns seriously. It is worth noting, of course, that the, those two crashes happened, it, it appears, in large part as a result of uh, this MCAS system, which doesn't seem to be necessarily related to uh, some of the concerns that he was uh, raising at that time, right. but, may maybe, but maybe, but maybe suggestively may there are problems within the culture and and, and pushing things ahead. If, if yeah. you know, if um, if you would agree with his testimony, I mean, I worry about a lot, as you know, and I know you do too. But uh, usually not flying. Still, I I try not to worry. I tr- I think about it beforehand. Look at the record, and that's I, you, you know how much yep. you know. You should not, uh, you know, don't get any food out of a vending machine because your life is in much greater peril when you're doing that, as you know, than, than getting on an airplane. So that's good. Hope that says, and, and a lot of that has to, why are you laughing? A lot of that has to do with uh, 
uh, with Boeing uh, uh, and over no, the years, how phenomenally great. great. Yeah, I know. And, and I'm not sugar and saying no. that, that, you know, we always need to say that they're great. But, uh, you know, I think in general, it's a, it's a great company, great employees that try to do the right thing. Ninety nine point nine nine. You know, but we need Six Sigma. We're in a Six Sigma world with right. when you're flying or when you're, you know, yes. making pharmaceuticals or whatever it is. And by Six Sigma, that's an old GE program where. Uh, the managers would try to get errors down to, I don't know, one out of 10 million right. or something. And that's pretty good, but that's, there's still a one there. I mean, Uber's facing this In a big situation way. right now. 100%. I mean, de minimis incidents that total, though, 3,000. Right. Alphabet has announced that it is adding a claimed bi- a biologist, uh, Frances Arnold, to its board of directors. She won the Nobel Prize really in Chemistry. Really in 2018, yeah. for pioneering science and enzymes and antibodies. Arnold's a professor of chemical engineering, bioengineering, and biochemistry at the California Institute of Technology. She's the third woman on the company's 11-person board. In a tweet, CEO Sundar Pichai wrote in part that she brings, quote, incredible academic and industry expertise. And as you know, beyond all of the things that we all know Google uh, for, they uh, have that other bets category. And some of that actually is in biotech in a very big way. You were out last week. I was. We talked a lot about this. And Which part? My favorite other alphabet venture is, you know, they're doing some, some, some really hard stuff, but, but one that I think is manageable is curing death. And I, I, I want them, you know, whatever, whatever it costs, they got a lot of money. You know, it's a trillion dollar kind. I think they really need to try to do that. Wouldn't, isn't that a, that's a, you know, flying, worthy goal. flying cars is one thing, you know, and get, you know, the cloud sorting right. things out for enterprise software. That's important. But I think curing death, if, uh, you know, before we go to Mars. I'm all for extending life, longevity. Actually, they do, Kurzweil's there. There is right. talk of. You know, someday, a hundred years, probably, we're, we're just going to miss. Unfortunately, it's not going to miss. We're just going to miss. We're just going to, I think we just. Just in our lifetime? No, maybe we need, to, we need to do a, uh, who froze himself? Somebody did that. Walt Disney. There's all people. All, sorry, yeah. Walt Disney's cryogenically freezing himself. People are Frozen taking, three. People are taking metformin. Do you know about metformin? They're taking I'm it right not going to take that. Even, I'm not going to do the, just the, the that's not going to happen. No, I'm saying there's you, a whole, you know, people that are getting blood transfusions. They're all those are all I'm new age. You, there's bullshit. people doing there's it's, people doing all. Sorts I know, of but I want it real. I want it real. Their, I want I want telomeres. I want to make sure that, that there's a way that our, our cells, uh, you know, keep they can they can divide, but not cause cancer. Right. But and you can live forever. So I want them to cure death. You know, getting old's a bitch. I'm telling you. SoftBank pulling out of its investment in WAG, according to people familiar with the matter, and in an end, an internal memo that was viewed by CNBC. Uh, SoftBank is selling its stake in the dog walking startup back to the company and giving up two seats on its board. Joining us right now to talk this morning about tech is uh, Lisa Chico, Business Insider, Senior Tech Correspondent. Uh, Erica Pandy from Axios is also joining us this morning. What do we think is going on with SoftBank right now? So I think this is a really difficult time for SoftBank, clearly. I mean, after what happened with WeWork, um, I would only imagine that their investment strategy is under really heavy scrutiny right now. Um, So I think what you're seeing here is SoftBank trying to be a little bit cautious and trying to get ahead of things and possibly prevent another WeWork from happening. And you think WAG was going to be another WeWork? 
Um, I don't. And you know what? It's hard to tell. But I mean, it's a gamble, right? I mean, SoftBank is kind of known for taking these big bets and these big risks on companies like Uber, like Slack, like WeWork. Um, And that hasn't, you know, as we've seen this past year, that hasn't really worked out for them as well as they might have hoped. So now I think they're kind of rethinking things a little bit. But okay, so my question, though, for for Erica on the same topic um, is uh, what happens if if, if SoftBank fundamentally has to change its business model. Does that fundamentally change whether these investments actually are going to work at all? I mean, I think, well, first talking about WAG, I mean, in terms of SoftBank, this is a relatively small deal. So it's not as as big of a story as, as the WeWork thing. But I think that well, we're definitely going to see SoftBank start to change things up. The, the smartest way I've heard this explained to me is that a lot of these companies, Uber and WeWork and WAG, were kind of subsidizing this urban millennial lifestyle, and SoftBank was last money in on a lot of them. So when SoftBank pulls out, it's kind of hard to find more right. money to follow it. Uh, quick question for both of you. We only have a minute. Uh, Erica, I know you've been thinking a lot about Tesla recently. Um, you know, you look at what's, what's happening there with this truck. You think it's going to work? Are we, are we now at a point where, I mean, people are much more optimistic than they were even two weeks ago? I mean, I think this truck is one of those things where Silicon Valley pulls back the curtain and the rest of the country is like, why did you do this? But, I mean, this, you know, you saw Elon Musk driving around with it. It looked pretty cool, but he did, he did hit something. So we'll have to see. You have a take? Yeah, I, th- I think um, following what Erica said, I think we really have to see. I mean, Elon Musk is definitely hitting that goal of getting generating a lot of buzz and getting a lot of attention and getting a lot of eyeballs on this thing. I think the question will be, you know, they've already got 250,000 pre-orders. I think the question will be, can they produce it fast enough to actually fill those orders when the time comes? Okay, final question, because we've been debating at Amazon, New York City, and this whole headquarters. Is AOC right or wrong? See, I think this is a very different situation. This is not the same thing as Amazon building a second headquarters in New York. This is just them kind of expanding their operations that they've already had ongoing here. So I'm with you. Uh, Lisa and Erica, thank you guys so very much. It's a lot of money in dog walking. There's a lot of money. Dog walking. No, there's a lot of money in that if you do it right. I think you should do a duty pickup while you're walking the dog. Right? Can you combine? It could be like everything you need. It like cradle to the grave dog service to groom them while, while you're there. Oh, Christmas tree. Oh, have you done that yet? Yes. boy. Good. Absolutely. I think that's, I'll show you some I pictures think that's later. Nice. I think that's we did too. We did too. And the whole place smells of that wonderful. Love that smell. I do. Don't you? As you know, I am a Christmas loving Jew. I know. I know you I are. Am. I know I you are. I know I just, you are. I just spoke at this UJA brought- Wall Street dinner last night. And I, we're talking about Sadatka. Do you know what Sadatka, Sadatka means? Charity. But at the same time, I... I Neil Sadatka? Coming up. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod. SurveyMonkey CEO Xander Lurie on corporate culture. The political divide in America has now permeated business. And you do see employees getting particularly sensitive about doing business with a government that they don't necessarily support. And the CEO of Warby Parker says, you got to wear frames. Glasses are a core part of someone's identity, so that brand needs to uh, stand for something. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.
three. This two, is Squawk Stand Box. Andrew by. Up and Andrew. Q. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan. Becky is off today. Our guest host in Becky Quick's seat, no less, is the one and only Xander Laurie. He's the CEO of SurveyMonkey in town just for the day. Uh, we've got so much to talk to you, though, yeah, about. And, thrilled to be uh, here. Xander Lurie is the CEO of $2.5 billion software company SurveyMonkey. It makes polls, quizzes, and surveys easy to create for businesses and individuals. You've probably taken one to choose the date for a party with a group of friends. But a lot of the feedback companies collect through SurveyMonkey drives their business intelligence, data that tells them what people are thinking. So, as guest host on Squawk Box today, Xander Lurie was asked to weigh in on everything from the public markets to public opinion, starting with the latest moves in the ongoing saga of trade policy. It's got a couple of big uh, stories to tell you about in the trade world this morning. Investors looking for some progress on two fronts. First, there's China and the countdown to Sunday's December 15th deadline. That's when the next round of tariffs are set to go into effect on Chinese goods. And then there's the new NAFTA and word of a USMCA agreement. I want to get over to Kayla Tausche in D.C. this morning, who's got the latest on both. Kayla. Good morning, Andrew. House Democrats are studying the Trump administration's final proposal on USMCA, a working group gathering last night to discuss that as Speaker Nancy Pelosi confirmed to an audience at a Wall Street Journal CEO Council event that a deal is in fact close. We're close. We're not quite finished yet, but we're within range. Uh, That's the way I would say it. And it is something that uh, hopefully if we can work out the final details. Pelosi also told NBC that she wants to see the implementing language. Last night, though, she was on stage with Jared Kushner, senior advisor to the president, who's been shepherding the relationship with Mexico. He and Ambassador Robert Lighthizer are traveling today to Mexico to discuss the proposed changes to the pact that the three countries signed last year. Getting Canada and Mexico on board with any revised deal is mandatory, after which the White House would send that official language to Capitol Hill. If that happens by December 15th, the White House has told allies it expects a vote on USMCA on December 18th. That would come about a day after it expects an impeachment vote. Last night, Jared Kushner on stage said that the administration is also heading in a good direction in China talks, where he is playing a larger role these days, and also said that the administration is keeping everyone on its toes. Xander, when we started out, uh, and President Trump started out with this, I think the numbers were much lower, and we've We've come around to the notion that that maybe China is is not our friend. And some people have actually, their stances that were already thought we need to do something, they've hardened their stances. Do you see that in the data? Or uh, from what I can tell, the the public is wary of trade wars. But are they behind the idea of taking on China? The China issue is an interesting one, and it tends to go directly down party lines. We just did a large survey of small business users. And what we're hearing is that small businesses are increasingly wary of of the trade war. They are increasingly hardened by the China issue. But they're bullish on spending, they're bullish on hiring, and while they think 65% of small business owners think prices are going to go up, only 38% of people think jobs are going to come home, and it really looks just like Trump supporters on one end and folks... Well, it's weird because when you said down party lines, a lot of times Democrats like Chuck Schumer are more... Hawkish on China. more hawkish on China. Well, that's the one issue where there does seem to be a lot of alignment that... China has not been a friend to us in business for many, many years, especially out west in technology land where IP threats uh, have been under duress from China. So I do think there is some 
there is some bipartisan support on pushing back on how China. Can I ask you a zeitgeist question? We were talking about this yesterday when it came to what Jeff, Jeff Bezos's comments around Silicon Valley and Silicon Valley's role in working with the Defense Department against China. It's very interesting because there's so many companies and individuals, and you're in Silicon Valley, who don't want to get into that business, right? Because they say there's ethical issues and, and so many other things. But yet, I'm not sure, do they, do they or do they not support this sort of larger sort of war, what, either economic or cyber war with China? Well, it's, it's an interesting question when you see company walkouts out of companies whose company does business with the United States government. Right. It's a pretty challenging position where employees are putting their foot down to say that you can sell our software to XYZ different countries, but you can't China get into right. You can't well, license this, our this software. This is why I was thinking about it because we you can enable China and deal with China, but 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 we don't want you know don't give any money to our aerospace companies or our defense companies. Maybe we should throw rocks at ISIS next time well, they but, take over. This is, no, but this is why I was, I was thinking about it because of the China. It used to be and we were talking about this yesterday. Josh Wolf had made the comment about uh, uh, Russia, you know, the U.S. versus Russia. There was a whole sort of view that you wanted to support. That's such a stupid uh, idea. There's always someone. No, There's no. always no, someone that we need to worry about. Or, worry about or we, how about building Patriot missiles no, no, for Israel's is defense? Can we build China some today? But the point is because of our economic. Uh, uh, well, you need to worry to about Iran. There isn't. There you need isn't, to worry about North Carolina. It isn't in the zeitgeist in the same way. That's no. what I was asking. Becky about. usually occupies this yeah, seat no, no, negotiating. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I do think that the <clears throat> the political divide in America has now permeated business, and you do see employees getting particularly sensitive about doing business with a right. government that they don't necessarily support. And in Silicon Valley, we have a, gov- we have a, a population that largely does not support. But we heard that, that the, these, they're like 60s activists. I told you, I, I watched Easy Rider again, and the guy doing the Tai Chi, with the, he had a millennial beard, a millennial haircut. He was spewing millennial, quite uh, ridiculous, idealistic, unworkable salute. They're the same. They're the same, but they grow up, hopefully, okay, eventually. Boomer. <laughs> I knew you were going to say, okay. You've watching too much Silicon Valley. Yeah. No, I haven't seen it. So have you done a survey? I, I saw a survey the other day on how many people have, have been exposed to ageism. I think it was about almost 70 or 80% of respondents said yes. That is, would you say, call, saying, you heard what he said, okay, boomer. It, can I write that down as, as part of a of problematic uh, behavior um, at this point? Was he kidding, or what, what do you think I should do? Uh, have you seen that, where ageism is actually... Now? I think to address your specific concern with Andrew, I think there is probably some taped evidence of it, so you will have a on, on exhibit TV? A in court, Your so Honor. The, yeah, there's ageism That's not sure. the first time you said, okay, Boomer. Okay, Mr. Generation. What are you, Generation uh, X? He's Gen X. You're a Gen X. I'm Gen X. I'm Gen X. Yeah. Gen Z is the 1996 to they're 2010 the ones I like. cohort. They're, they're my kids. Okay. They're, they're fine. They're fine. They're, yeah. Give them 10 years. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, that's when it happens. There's that... That window of no, but there, I mean, there is a very specific concern amongst this Gen Z. There, they have more vocal concerns, and they share them. And we see this in the workplace culture. You know, they're the ones who want companies to stand up for political and social issues. The Gen Zs, yeah. oh no, Gen that's Z's. the millennials. No, the, the Gen, Gen Z and millennials. More, Gen Zs are more like in, in risky business. What do you want to do? I want to make a lot of money. Anyway. Xander Lurie is a great guest host, not just because he runs an influential company but because he's constantly in conversation with other business leaders. He and the other guest hosts we book on Squawk Box are connected to the movers and shakers in Washington, Wall Street, and Silicon Valley, which is why we encourage them to bring friends when they come to the Squawk set. In Xander's case, he invited the co-CEO of Warby Parker, Neil Blumenthal. 
Here's that conversation. You are here wearing your glasses, though. The reason I said to you, I said that you're wearing your glasses because you just came out with, with contact, contact lenses. lenses. So this, this is like a big deal for you. Uh, it, was, it was great. Our, our biggest sort of brand launch since we launched in 2010. And actually, our decision to launch Contacts right. uh, was uh, thanks in part to, to this man and, and some of the research that we did through SurveyMonkey. Um, we're able to understand what our customers want. And right. over 40% of our customers also wear contact lenses. Okay, I want to get back to the, the Warby story in a second. But I do want to talk about this, this sort of private market valuation issue. And I want to talk about sort of what's going on in your space. Because there's been such a development of uh, business-to-consumer, direct-to-consumer products that seem to be working. We were just talking about this Peloton ad, yeah. which seems to... I, you think the Peloton ad, by the way, is working for Peloton? Um, a lot of press helps raise awareness, can help drive sales. Right. Um, and I uh, know a lot of the, the folks there, including the chief brand officer, and, and, and she's not sexist. But it's important when you're doing creative that uh, you get a lot of different perspectives uh, bef- before you launch. But uh, there is a lot of attention being placed to, to this ad. Right. But, but to the larger piece, and the reason I was going to Peloton and this whole direct-to-consumer thing is you have private companies that seem to have enormous valuations and yet somehow they get into the public market and we now realize or there's a new appreciation that maybe these things don't work the same way. What, what, what is it? Were investors wrong the first time? Were the private investors just fundamentally wrong? The public investors looking for something else? Or is there even something else happening? If you just look at where the equity gains have come over the last 20 years, they're primarily driven by the United States compared to Europe and Japan. And within the U.S. market, it is tech. It's Internet and software is the number one industry that we export out of this country right now. And private investors have been the beneficiary for a long time, funds that got access to great companies like Warby Parker before the public markets. And I think today's market is just more discerning. If your gross margins are down in the 30s or 40s, you're not going to generate the kind of robust cash flows that these companies would have expected. Okay, so, Neil, my question to you, though, you're, you are a private unicorn. Uh, you're on the board of another private unicorn, Allbirds. Uh, is, is, is Sweet Green, you're on the board of Sweet Green as well. as well. Is, is Sweet Green a, a unicorn these days? Uh, it is. Okay. It's a stable of unicorns. It's a stable of unicorns right over here. Okay, so the question is, over the past six months, as this sort of revaluation has happened in the public markets, is there a new conversation happening in the boardrooms of companies like yours and the other boards that you're on saying, okay, we have to rethink this sort of growth story versus profit story versus how we're going to think about this. Yeah, the, the pendulum is definitely swinging from, it seems like it had gone a little too far to, to growth only at the expense of profitability. Uh, but at Warby Parker, we've always believed in sustainable growth. So that's ambitious growth, um, but improving every metric uh, uh, in the business. And we've been profitable for last year was our first full year of profitability, our first full year being cash flow positive. Um, so if you manage your business appropriately and right. not, you know, try and swing for the fences every single day at the expense of sort of long-term profitability, then you can sort of maintain unicorn status, whatever that may mean. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I just think if, if you look over the last 10 years, you guys, you took on this kind of sleepy industry where it was dominated by a monopoly Start as directing consumer, and now in this retail apocalypse, you guys are opening, I think, 100 stores around the world. Maybe just talk to us a little bit about where the, the journey the company's been on over the last 10 years, because you seem to be like a salmon swimming upstream. Yeah, so, you know, for us, it's just 
what do customers want? How do we deliver exceptional customer experiences, great value? When we started Warby Parker, less than 1% of prescription glasses were being sold online. Now it's about 5%, and we're the main piece of that and, and the main driver of it. So we want to be where our customers are. They you know, right. enjoy shopping for, for glasses. And if we're able to create a great experience, then they'll come in. How much do you think it was about creating this brand, though? Because it, there's, there's, there's such sort of a brand equity at this point with Warby. And the reason I, I say that is you also can go online now, and there's so many people trying to knock off what you do. All, yeah. all these pitches are now, we're the Warby Parker of right. X filling the industry. So it's become a real zeitgeist nomenclature. Yeah, I think a lot of people get it wrong, though, because to be the Warby Parker, you have to provide you know, great value. So uh, $500 product at $95, great customer service. Our net promoter score has been in the 80s since inception. Um, you have to have a brand that's relevant. Right? Glasses are a core part of someone's identity, so that brand needs to uh, stand for something, and we stand for doing good in the you world. Think glasses will always be part of people's core identity, meaning now that you're getting into the contacts business, yeah. now that there's all sorts of science and other you know, people are doing laser. I mean, all of these things, 25 years from now, will people wear glasses? Uh, you ever I, think about I, that as an existential? Is <laughs> that, if you ever go public, will that be a risk factor in the, in the, in the S1? Um, I don't think so. Glasses, uh, you know, Lasix has been around a long time. Um, people still wear, wear glasses. Wearables is, is certainly real, but I think we're 10 years away from uh, something that is really functional and has a, a strong use case. Um, and even once it is something that people wear regularly, it's got to look good. Neil, talk to us about being a CEO in this environment, the culture of your employee base, what's important, building that kind of robust culture. Um, you have to live your values every single day. And if you're going to create shareholder value, if you're going to create great customer experiences, you have to retain uh, great team members. And they have to be able to bring their whole selves to work every day. Um, and you have to set the tone. Um, and uh, we're also in an environment right now um, where it's uh, really easy to offend somebody. So uh, we... Okay. This is back to the OK Boomer Bring situation. Joe to work today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. But so what's going on? Do you think there's a fundamental shift in what the employees are actually expecting? Is that real? Um, you see that? I, I think it's real. Um, I think there was always an expectation that you should come to work and feel a sense of, of belonging. Um, but that expectation, yeah, is, is more heightened um, in today's in, environment. And it's also able to uh, sort of those voices are thankfully able to be heard uh, more, more loudly now. Right. Um, you know, it's important for us to make sure that everybody has a seat a, a, at the table um, so that way we do create inclusive experiences. Yeah. Okay, you Stay strong. Come on back. We- don't, don't knuckle under the PC police, okay? <laughs> yeah. Stay strong. Next on Squawk Pod. Some news you can use, folks. How do you pick the funds in your 401k plan? A Seton Hall finance professor has some surprising data on investor bias, and it's as easy as ABC. There's a lot of things we can do about it. Back after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.
At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. This is Squawk Pod. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. Up and Andrew. Hugh. We're going to talk about investing in your 401ks this morning because it's often in an alphabet soup of choices probably looked at the various lists uh, that, you're, uh, that you have available at work. Uh, but according to a new study, investors are more likely, you ready for this, to choose funds listed at the top of the list. And this so-called alphabetical bias is costing investors thousands of dollars a year. For more on this, we want to welcome uh, Jen Itzkowitz uh, from Seton Hall uh, University, a professor of finance and a co-author of a new study on this very issue. Good morning to you. Good morning. I have to say I was I was floored by this idea that where the company uh, and what's listed in the 401k in terms of your options, literally based on the alphabet, makes that big a difference. It does make a difference. It's surprising, um, but the data bears it out. Uh, we find that investors overwhelmingly choose early alphabet stocks compared to later alphabet stocks that come lower on their plan menu. And... It, <laughs> Okay, can we be honest? Does that mean everybody's that dumb? It's not that people are dumb. It's that we're not robots, we're not computers. We have limited mental processing capacity. And so we have some... So basically ideas. you're saying we're that dumb? No, as you're going down and you it's just don't get to the end of It's a dumbness. Yeah. Right. You have an idea of what you think you'd like to invest in. You start at the top of the list and... It's called satisficing. You find something that satisfies but your needs. But this goes back to the... Okay, hold on. The reason I ask this is, you know, so we, we do this show every morning, and one of the things that I like to think is that we are democratizing the markets, right? And that we're trying to have fair markets and that we want uh, both professionals and my mother and father and anybody else who's out there to be able to invest in the markets at the same, with, with the same information and with the same degree of success, hopefully. Really, that we... we You've always... You may not believe that. No, no, no. I I hear you. But you've always wanted to bring... You know what you want to do? What's that? We just don't know where to keep him. Who's that? The monkey. You wanted to bring a monkey in here. That's from, true. From the very want, beginning when you first came on the show. I and he wants the want, monkey throwing I darts. I have a quarterly chimpanzee. Because you're sure the monkey can win, but they throw other have, things. I wanted to have a quarterly chimp, a chimpanzee come on the set quarterly. I've, I've been trying to get the producers to do this for literally a decade. Now. So this is you democratizing the markets for everyone, no, arguing for a my, monkey. But my point is, well, it's the same kind of. It's the same phenomenon. The same phenomenon. And so, what what should we do about it? There's a lot of things we can do about it. The first thing is to recognize that everyone does make biased decisions. Right. And so, the more you know about them, the more you can overcome them. So we recommend when you sit down to make your four. Start at the bottom. Decision, go up or something. Start well, in the middle. Go decide what's important to you first. Right. Are you, is risk important to you? Yeah, but you then you still get impatient you as you're going down. Minimize fees. So resort. We resort, yes. Resort the Good list. Idea. And Good then idea. the thing that's most important to you will be at the top. And then look down the list to find the thing that I you mean, want. I mean, you, you know, Andrew, you know how many companies name themselves at, at, with a, the AAs to be at the, used to be at the top of the phone book. That's not right. as common anymore, the yellow pages. But an ABC but company is better do than. this for you? I mean, this goes back to, hold on, this goes back to personal responsibility. 
right, Joe? We always have our personal responsibility conversation. You know, nanny state versus, you know, the, mm-hmm. so what's the, what's, the, what's the answer here? If people literally are looking at the thing and they're, they're, they literally don't have the patience to get to the bottom of the list, that unto itself is a problem. That is a problem. Employers used to provide defined benefits plans. Uh, now that it's at defined contribution plans, they put a huge more amount of responsibility on the individual investor. And we're not saying that they should define your benefits for you, but there is some middle ground. Employers can be advocates for their employees. Oh, so, but is there a way from a technical perspective? I know one of the things you talk about in the study, or at least from the conclusions, is this idea that potentially the employers could resort the list for you, or at least provide tools that make it very accessible to do that. They could resort the list for you. They could choose better defaults so that if you don't want to make the decision yourself, you're already opted in, you're already chosen into a specific plan, or they could put up a first screen that when says you say what's default, most... Then you get into a dangerous place because either, if the default's fabulous, it's fabulous. If the default's not, not so fabulous, it's not so fabulous. Well, defaulting to investing something is okay. better than investing nothing. nothing. And that's what we see a lot of people are doing. That people are just underinvested. Underinvested the... broadly. But that's, that's not an alphabet bias. That's not an alphabet bias. That's just the late... But this goes, this goes to the whole idea, though, about whether individuals... On the whole, I'm, talking, I'm not talking about, I mean, we have great viewers here who care so deeply about the markets, but there's a lot of people who don't care enough, frankly, I would argue. And so if, the question is, should we leave this all to people to just do, do what they like? Well, I think that there's a happy medium where some good defaults are chosen for you, where your funds are sorted according to some criteria that makes sense for you, or where there's a screen that says, before you make your decision, sort according to your best criteria, and then still allow people to make their own decisions. Ben, thank you. That is some news you can use, folks. That's the show for today. On our rundown tomorrow, FAA Administrator Steve Dixon, the top regulator for plane safety. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. What am I? You're Generation Joe, clearly. A class of one. Generation Joe. Joe Generation Joe. That's, That's cool, good. isn't it? I like Great. that. I think I have my own show. I might call it Generation Joe. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod. We're available free on all podcast platforms. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.